Yes, you did ask for it, and we're about to give it to you. Boy, that sounds kind of exciting, doesn't it? Did you, you know y'all texted in about 150 questions, and I'm going to answer two of them. Pretty impressive, isn't it? Yeah, there's two of those I can answer. Uh, no, 150 questions. Now, it wasn't 150 different questions. There was some very similar questions, a, a lot of crossover or groups of questions that fit under themes. And that's kind of what we're doing today and two weeks from now. Today, we're looking at suffering and evil. Partly re- reason we pulled that is the most questions we're, we're dealing with that. And, and then the other one, we had a lot of questions. Plus, it was real kind of current. And that is dealing with near life or near life. Afterlife and near-death uh, experiences. Of course, the movie out right now, Heaven is for Real. So we're going to be looking at that and kind of how Scripture helps us to process that and understand these events and these different kind of stories. And then next week, in between these two weeks, uh, we, we got these two questions. Next week, our goal is going to be to answer a lot of questions. And, and they might come from some that have already been asked, but we're going to take them live from the floor. Uh, you, you'll, you'll be sending in those questions next week. Uh, I'll be up here with a couple of other pastors, and instead of giving whole messages, we'll look to give answers in in a minute or so and answer a lot of questions. As you just heard also, we're answering a lot of these in Life Group. I would encourage you to come back next week, maybe at 945, and uh, find a Life Group for you. They're taking on some of these questions also. So we're getting a lot of questions answered. I don't know if any of them are good answers, but, but we're getting a lot, a lot of them answered. Gosh, we got questions ranging from b- biblical theological questions and ideas uh, to current issues, from end times to, to marriage and family. Wide range uh, of questions that have come in. Now, whenever you, you do questions, there's always one that pops up. It's one of my favorite questions. Where did Cain get his wife? I'm telling you, she must be something else. Because everybody wants to know where this gal came from. And, and I guess the follow-up question would be, does she have a sister? Because Cain got the winner, I think, of all time. Uh, you know, I did get one question kind of aimed right at, at me. And that was this. What questions do you have? And, and they, they phrased it or they had a follow-up question. What are you going to ask God when you get to heaven? And, you know, I had to, I had to stop and think about that. I'm not, I, you know, I know it's very natural for it. Boy, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this. Or, or maybe we got, a, we got a list of questions, a list of things we want to ask the Lord. And I, I, don't, I don't have that. I, I haven't cataloged that. I'm not saying that the reason I don't have that is, is because I know everything. I assure you I don't. Just like you, I can open up the Bible and I can say, hey, God, what are you doing here? What, what, what does this mean? Why is, why is this? Or I can look out in life and say, hey, God, where are you there? Why doesn't that ever seem to get better, seem to get fixed? So I've got some of those same kinds of questions as you. But the reason I don't really think about one day asking God that is I just believe that the moment I step into heaven, every one of those questions is instantly answered. I mean, I mean, just immediately. As a matter of fact, I would actually draw from a passage in Revelation 19 that says not only will all the dots get connected for me, but I'll actually praise God for how just and right and good in all of those places I had questions was. We'll praise them for the very things we think, boy, I bet God can't answer this one. We'll actually praise them. You know, folks, if you think about it, questions are big. Questions are big because we can't see God and because we don't know the end. But that won't be true when we step into heaven, will it? 
We'll instantly see him. We'll instantly see the end and what he's doing. And this really is kind of a good segue into the topic of today when we talk about suffering and evil, uh, because that's where the biggest questions come from. That's where often we, boy, I can't see God at all in this. There's no end that's good in this. And your questions sounded like this. Why do bad things happen to who? Good people. You know, there was a question that was just the opposite. Why do good things happen to, you know, sometimes I don't care if good, you know, bad things are happening to good people, but I sure don't want anything good happen to that person over there, you know. Hey, here's one. And and I knew this question and and I know specifically, I think, where I would go in Scripture to answer it. I don't know that I'm going to answer it specifically today. I think you'll get some. This is a real question. How come some Christians seem to suffer more than others? Right? We're all under God's protection. We're all under God's blessing. But you look at some believers and, boy, some just seem to be skating through life. It's just one blessing after another. Then you got a believer over here. It's like, man, Lord, let them come up for air every day or so. I mean, it's just one problem after another. And you know what? All three of those questions are questioning fairness. Fairness. Unfairness is a form of evil, isn't it? It has to be because we talk about what's unfair almost every day of our lives, don't we? That, that's not fair. Now, we can go into some other questions that we got from you. Why did God create Satan? Why, 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 why is there a Satan on the planet? Uh, why did God allow us to make that mistake at the tree and, and all this problem unfold? And folks, all of these questions ultimately end up under one big umbrella question. If God is good and loving, and that's what we would say we'd believe, right? We sang songs saying that this morning. If God is good and loving and he has all power, we believe that too, right? Well, if he's loving and has all power, how in the world can he watch some of this stuff go on and not do anything about it? That's a, that's a very legitimate, that's a very real question that is in part based on a wrong presupposition. You see, the question assumes that the presence of evil means that there's no way God's there, that God's working. Folks, do you realize there's something else we don't see? We don't see all the evil he stopped. We don't see all the evil that never unfolded, that never happened. The Bible clearly communicates that God checks evil. God puts boundaries on evil. Now, you know what? Having said that, I'm confident there's some things in your life, things maybe you just see out in the world and think, gosh, God, surely you could have drawn a tighter boundary around that one. Certainly you could have checked that one a, a, a little bit sooner. You know, folks, we, we, we look at all these things. We I can't see God in that moment. I can't see the end, but we will. Now, as you can imagine, I don't think I need to say this. I'm I'm guessing you already know it. We're not going to resolve suffering and evil in the next 20 minutes. (laughs) That's kind of funny, isn't it? As if my sermon would ever only be 20 minutes. Um, We're not, we're not going to resolve that. As a matter of fact, you know, studying for today, it, it kind of made me think, you know what? Maybe I should do a series on this sometime in the future. I mean, it would be nothing to talk about this for six to eight weeks. There's so many different roads to take, so many different questions to unwrap, a variety of things to understand. And we could do that, and it would make a difference. We would understand more. The the, the dialogue would be encouraging. It would be helpful. It would embolden faith. Man, we, we could read. We could understand more. And by the way, if today's not enough for you, and it shouldn't be for a lot of you, 
I would encourage you to read. If you look at the back of your bulletin, uh, under my sermon title, you see the word faith talk. By the way, that's in there every single Sunday. And that's a list of questions for you as an individual or you as a family to kind of discuss and, and think about what you heard in the sermon. But you'll notice in there today that the first thing listed is some book recommendations. Uh, I've listed two books by Yancey uh, and and Dobson, both really good reads, especially at dealing with evil on a personal level. When you're suffering, when, when you're hurting, and how you work through that, how you find God in the midst of that. The third book is by Tim Keller. Uh, that's a very new book. That is a, that's an awesome book. It is a very, very thorough study. As a matter of fact, it went into some areas I, in other books I'd read like this that, that I hadn't even seen before. It is a great read. Highly recommend. I would tell you this. It's not an easy read. You bring your fork and knife to this one. This is, this is all the meat and all the potatoes in this one. Uh, it, it, it's a full reading, but man, is it, is it good. And I would encourage you uh, to do more on that because it will help your faith. One, one message won't cover all that. We'll just kind of open it up and, and, and begin the dialogue. Now, folks, when I say it won't cover all that, it's not because it's not I'm saying the Bible has no good answers. The Bible has answers for those of faith. For those that want to hold on to God. And, and folks, sometimes we reach a place in life. Maybe you have. Certainly a lot of people out in the world. You reach a place. I don't, I don't want to have faith. I, I don't want to believe. And, and, and when we, when a person can arrive there, I'm not going to suggest that the answers of the Bible. Boy, just put the answers of the Bible on them. It'll shove them in a corner and they'll have to believe. No. No, the, the, the answers won't do that. You know, there's a... Another very popular movie out this spring called God's Not Dead. I know a lot of you have seen it. I've seen it on your Facebook. And uh, you know the story there is absolutely related to our topic today. There's this, this antagonist, this college professor who hates the idea of God. But maybe the only thing he hates more than the idea of God is that you believe in God. He hates that anybody does. And so the this, this story unfolds and, and at near the end we find out where his hatred for the idea, for the belief in God comes from. It comes from a disappointment in God. You see what just happened there, folks? You can't be disappointed in something you don't believe in. You, you can't be disappointed by something that is, is not real. You see, evil and suffering has led a lot of people, masses of people away from any kind of faith and belief in God. You know, folks, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking, room this size, this is the third service of, fourth service of two campuses. A lot of people, thousands of people come through here today. I would imagine with this size congregation, probably every form of evil out there has touched this room. This room today, this has been this room's been, been touched by murder. It's been touched by rape, by, by stealing. It's it's been touched by betrayal. It's been touched by abuse, by disease, by 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 famine. We probably this size of room. We've we've probably felt it all. And obviously, as all people feel that, a lot just leave God altogether. Where, where did that all start? Where where does evil come from? Well, folks, we, as the Bible introduces it to us, we see it. Man, we're only a few pages in. It doesn't take long before God and the Scriptures introduce it to us. We're in Genesis chapter 3. 
And in that chapter, at this point, God has given man the entire earth. God has given man a perfect relationship with himself. He has everything that he needs. And out of the entire earth, everything God's provided, God says, there's one tree. Don't touch it. It's, it's, it's not yours. And that tree is the place of choice. And, and Satan enters the picture and he tempts, basically, the man and the woman to believe this. There is a good outside of God. Maybe a good that is greater than what God's given you. And you can have that good. Reject God. Disobey God. There's something better outside of him. And, and you know what? We, we went for it. We, we bought it. Hook, line, and sinker. We said, yeah, I'm, I'm going to find the greater good that is outside of God. And, and, and we chose the tree. And folks, everything I just mentioned about evil, the, the, the murder, the famine, the disease, all that... The wars, everything going on in the world that is wrong, all comes from that decision. And you might look at it, now wait a minute, that, again, fairness, right? That's not fair that, that 7 billion people today are, are living with the mistake two people made thousands of years ago. Except for the fact that you and I fall for the same thing that Adam and Eve did all the time. Not once, all the time. I've never fallen for that. Folks, every time you sin, you're falling for it. See, God says, tell the truth. But you and I will come into some moments and we'll say, oh, you know what? The greater good here for me is to lie. The greater good for me is to do something different than what God said. To do something outside of what God said. Every time we sin, and we've all sinned, and we've all sinned more than once. Every time we sin, we're making the exact same decision. And it results, it produces everything that's going wrong in the world today. Now... Okay, I got another accusation for God. Hey, God, you're like really smart, right? Aren't you all knowing and that kind of thing? Well, surely you saw if you put that tree there and you allow Satan to run around, surely you saw how we'd mess up. Well, why, why didn't you keep that from happening? Don't let Satan tempt us. Don't put a tree out there. But you know what, folks? It, folks, in part, not in total, but in part... The presence of a Satan, the presence of the tree and the choice it represents is in part of the relationship that God designed for us. God didn't make us robots. He, he does not force your allegiance, your love, your faith. Without choice, at best, forget robots, at best, without choice, we're animals. And maybe we would instinctually respond to God. But that's not the kind of relationship God created for you and me. He created one with real freedom and with real love. But that means a genuine choice to do something different, right? And of course, we went with the other choice. We went with behind what's door number two. And everything ensued. Now, I could say, well, okay, wait a minute, God. Okay, so you're giving, let me get this right. You're giving me a choice to love you or to not love you. But if I don't love you, then like the world blows up. That doesn't seem like much of a choice. But you know what, folks? God's not making the world blow up because we didn't choose him. You, you see, when we make a choice other than God, by default, what we end up with is darkness, lies, uh, confusion, and death because God is light. God is truth. It's not that God always tells the truth. He is truth. 
So when I move away from God, I am moving away from truth and toward lies. When I move away from God, I'm moving away from light and to darkness. That's not something God's doing to me. I'm leaving what is light, what is life, what is truth. So when I move away from it, I, I get the other stuff. Now, a couple of questions that came from you. One is kind of general. One is kind of specific. And and that flows right out of this statement. A move away from God is a move toward evil. Okay, well, and here's your question. You know what? If I'm trying to live for the Lord, shouldn't I be protected from evil and suffering? And the answer is yes and no. And by the way, I'm going to say that on the next question too. I'm just going to warn you. Yes and no. And I'm not playing both sides of the fence. The Bible... The Bible affirms both. Now let's start with the first question. Shouldn't I be protected from evil if I'm walking with God? Folks, the scripture is filled with passages that say, if you come under God, you live by God's word, guess what? You're going to flourish. You're going to prosper. You're going to do well. Life, Life just works under God. Proverbs 13, 16 is one of those, one of many passages. Righteousness guards, guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Folks, you bet the whole farm on that right there. You build life every day of your life on that truth and that kind of truth. Life works when you live it under God. Okay, but then the Bible, not man, this isn't an an accusation or a problem you and I are having. The Bible says, but, but there's some other circumstances. Books like Ecclesiastes, Job, the Psalms say, hey, there's this general principle, but sometimes there's some exceptions. And by the way, exceptions don't mean the rule doesn't work. Exceptions don't mean the principle doesn't work. It means there's exceptions. And so you have David come along in Psalm 73. And by the way, David wrote in Psalm 1, hey, you live under God and you just prosper and, and flourish. And then he says, and if you're evil, wicked, you, you, God blows you away. He actually says that very modern day lingo, doesn't it? You don't live under God, he's going to blow you away. But then the very same person that believes that about God comes along in Psalm 73 and says, Hey, God, I'm, I'm be honest with you, I'm struggling here. He actually starts off saying, I almost lost my faith. And he says, you know what? I'm looking out in the world. I'm walking through a particular day. And, and I see these folks, and I know they don't love you. I know they live life in, in opposition to you. And God, it looks like they're doing just fine, to be honest with you. They look pretty happy. They, they look pretty fulfilled. It, it looks like they got life by the tail. Now, Lord, on the other hand, there's me. I really love you. I'm really trying to serve you. And to be quite honest, God, I feel like I'm getting my teeth kicked in. Now, see, in Psalm 73, David's not complaining that the principle doesn't work. He's saying, no, the exact opposite is what's working. And I don't get it, God. You know, folks, I want to stop here. A little time out. Kudos to the real God and kudos to the scriptures for being the only God and the only religion that deals with the reality of things. Because other religions don't have answers for evil. They don't have answers for how good really is good, but then how we get, quote unquote, these victims and the innocent and the, and the suffering. They don't, they, don't, they don't have answers for that. The scripture is going to present both sides, and I'm going to do that in a moment. Where's God in evil and what's happening in the midst of it? By the way, when David gets to the end of Psalm 73, he resolves this conflict in his life Much the same way I referred a moment ago to not having questions, David runs to eternity. And he says, oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I just just almost defined life in God by a sliver in time. And there is an eternity 
where this gets corrected. And so he, he resolves it there. Now, another question. What about this? If I am suffering, is it because there's sin in my life? Am I, am I suffering because I've done wrong? And the answer is yes and now say it with confidence. Yeah, there you go. Yes and no. It, it, it's both. Folks, think of God as a designer and think of this book as the owner's manual. You've heard me use that illustration before. This book tells me how this machine works. And when I ignore the book, reject the book, step outside of the book, guess what happens to the machine? It breaks. Let me give you one illustration of, of what could be thousands of illustrations in any command in Scripture. Sexual morality. Folks, God has given us this incredible gift in a sexual relationship. One man, one woman, inside of marriage. Wonderful, beautiful thing. Now, when you step outside of that, guess what happens? Things begin to break. One incredible illustration that science and medicine gives us. Folks, I mean, this is incredible. You don't hear this said very often. You take one man and one woman in a marriage, monogamous relationship for a lifetime. They have zero chance of a sexually transmitted disease. Zero. Not one recorded case in human history. Not one recorded case of 7 billion people on the planet today of one man, one woman in marriage for life contracting a sexually transmitted disease. But when you get into same sex... When you get into multiple partners throughout life, guess what happens? Things start to break. God did not, it doesn't matter what you're feeling and what you want. God did not design this machine for multiple partners. He just didn't do it. And, and he's not, it's not that he's sending the disease. Boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you. No, he told you right up front. This machine is going to break down. And, and folks, we could use an illustration about that, about lying, about, about every kind of command that God gives. Oh, so you are saying, if I'm sick, if I'm hurting, if something's wrong, if anything's wrong, it's because of my sin. No, not necessarily. As a matter of fact, we open up John chapter 9. Jesus and his disciples are walking down the road and they walk up on this blind guy and apparently they, they know him. They have some knowledge of him because this blind guy didn't just get blind. He's been blind his whole life. They know he's been blind from birth. And so the disciples say, hey, hey, Jesus, is he blind because of his sins or his parents' sins? Well, that's what we're just sitting here asking, right? And he says, wait a minute. No, this isn't about anybody's sins. This guy is blind so that the works of God can be displayed. On one hand, that's kind of cool. And then on the other hand, is that kind of cool? Is my life, is my, is my body available to God for however he wants to display his works? He said, well, what kind of, what kind of work is God going to display in this blind guy? Oh, well, one day the son of God's going to walk by his life and heal him, proving to the world that he's the son of God. That might be one work. Okay. But, but God will use evil to display who he is. And say, how, how, how would he do that? Why would he do that? You know, folks, we are answering that looking at a moment in time. And you know what? I could stop going to a whole new sermon about a moment in time. See, right now we're living where evil and suffering seems to be having the day, right? But it is just today. When we step into eternity and it may, it doesn't feel like a day. 
If this is you, man, I've been going, th- I've been going through this for decades. I've, I've been going through this, through this for the last six months. Or maybe you're just looking at humanity and saying, man, this is 10,000 years. This isn't a day. The second you step into eternity, all of human existence is a moment. Just a moment. And so that's where we've got to be careful not to define everything by the moment. Righteousness is going to be rewarded and blessed forever and ever and ever. And evil is going to be stopped, destroyed, defeated forever and ever and ever. That's the truth. We've got to remember what forever and ever is and not just the moment. So in this moment... That evil seems to be having its day. Folks, even then, God is saying, no, evil's not winning the day. I am working. I am doing some things. And one of those things is I am displaying who I am, who my people are, and what eternity is going to look like. You know, one of the great books of the Bible, I imagine some of you are familiar with it, maybe many of you, is the book of Job, right? Now, Job's not the first book in the Bible. That, that, Genesis gets that spot, Right? But Job is the oldest book in the Bible. It's the first written book of the Bible. And while it is this huge book, it's 42 chapters, and it's a long 42 chapters. It'll take you some time to read through the book of Job. But while it is this big book, it really only deals with one theme. I mean, that's not true of almost any other book in the Bible. We got little short books in the New Testament, four or five pages long, and cover multiple themes, cover multiple ideas. And Job certainly teaches more than one thing, but it's really just about this one thing. Where in the world is God during suffering? What is he doing? And so you got this big thing. Think about that. The very first time that the Holy Spirit moved on men to write down what we would call God's word, it was to deal with this question. I mean, this question is the first question. It is the big question. It's the first time God gave us something that we call the Bible. Now, we open up Job. Chapters 1 and 2 starts with with, uh, Satan kind of trash-talking God. And, And Satan says, hey, God, all these people at the heights today that left their homes and came here to worship you, you know why they do that, God? Because you give them goodies. You give them your little goodies, you give them your little trinkets, and they come flocking in. Hey, God, you stop giving them goodies, they'll walk away from you as quick as anything. God says, that's not true. Some of these folks genuinely believe in me and follow me. They're not in it just for the goodies. By the way, that's kind of a big thought, isn't it? Is God God because of what he gives us? Is God God because of what he does for us? Or is God God because he actually is God? He actually is the creator of all things. And Satan is making the case that humanity will not acknowledge you as God unless you're divvying out your little presence. And God says, you seen my boy Job over here? He's the real deal. Gosh, I just want to pause on that one for a moment. Would God say that about me? Would God say that about you? If, If he's having coffee with the angels and they're talking about how people are doing. If he's in a dialogue, a debate with Satan, would he look over and say, let me show you the real deal? Would he call my name? Man, he called Job's name. And Satan says, nah, let me tell you something. You let me cut Job and I'll guarantee you he cuts you. God says, okay, I'm going to display who my people are. I'm going to display what faith in God looks like. And then he gives gives Satan these parameters. And I'll be honest with you folks, I look at it, boy, God... You could have, could have drawn those parameters a little bit tighter. Because when Satan's all done, 
Job lost 10 children in a natural disaster. When Satan's done, Job loses everything he has. This scripture kind of indicates he, if he's not the wealthiest person on earth, he's right at it. And he loses everything, every single penny. And then, then Satan takes his health. And so there he is. He's sitting there. It says he was in so much pain. He was taking, you know, use broken pot. He was taking pieces of broken pot and just clawing his own skin. He is sitting there in emotional pain, physical pain, spiritual pain, any kind of pain. He's in it. And somewhere in the midst of that, he is able to dig down and come out with this. God gives. And God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's God when I'm healthy. And he's God when I'm not. He's God when I got everything and he's God when I got nothing. He's God when everything in my life is turning up roses and he's God when nothing in my life is working. He is God and this life will acknowledge him. Man, you gotta look at Satan, man. I mean, look at, look at Job, man, he did it, he won. Then his friend showed up. Man, with friends like Job's, who needs enemies? You know, it's easy to pick on Job's friends. They're not that bad. And actually what leads them to just destroy Job is a line of reasoning probably some of us have followed. So they get there and Job is, I don't, I don't, I mean, have you seen this kind of suffering? When they walk into Job's midst, they sit there in silence for seven days. They have nothing to say. They never have interacted with this amount and this kind of pain. And they just all sit there for seven days. And then sooner or later, somebody has to speak, right? And, as, and as, the, as the suffering continues to unfold, one of his friends says, Hey, Job, come on, man. Confess your sin. Make, make things right with God. Make things right with whoever you've wronged. And, and this, this can all be over. You don't, you don't have to keep living in this. And man, Job kind of racks his head and says, I, 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 I don't know what I've done to confess. I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. And, and, and the more he says that, the more convinced they become to show him how evil he really is. And the more defensive he gets with his friends, pretty soon that becomes a defensiveness with God. And pretty soon he's asking the question that all of us would ask. What have, what have I done? What have I done to deserve this? And I've, I've tried to love you. I've tried to follow you. I've tried to obey you. And, and don't we think, hey, if I do this, God, you're supposed to do that. I mean, that seems like a pretty logical conclusion, right? What have I done? I know I'm not perfect. I've never said I'm perfect. But what have I done to deserve this? And this whole dialogue goes on for 35 chapters. The book's only 42 chapters long. 35 of these chapters is this dialogue between Job and his friends about God, about life, about suffering, about evil, about, about pain, about where is God. What 35 chapters. It doesn't tell us how long it takes for these 35 chapters to unfold. It reads like it's a long time. And then in chapter 38, God speaks. And folks, when I say then God speaks, chapter 2 was a long time ago. It's been a long time since we saw God, since we heard God speak. 
since we understood what was going on. It's been a long time. And then God speaks. Chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? You brace yourself. Another way of saying man up. Because I have some questions for you and you must answer them. Where were you, by the way, when I laid the foundations of the earth? You know, you know so much, so go ahead and tell me, where were you? Do you know how its dimensions were determined and who did the surveying? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy as I began to unfold my creation? I just read seven verses. That dialogue, monologue from God goes on all the way to the end of chapter 41. I'm not saying God is angry, but it reads like, wow, God must be angry. It's kind of funny. When Job does speak, he's like, hey, God, sorry, my bad. Could you just like erase every question I asked? I'm good. (laughs) I'm out of here. You do what you want. And and you'd think, man, is God, boy, look, Job's hurting and Job's asking some questions. Is Is God mad at him? And you know what the answer is? No. Because we read chapter 42 and God goes to Job's friends and says, hey, you idiots, Job's a righteous man. You better go ask him for forgiveness and I hope he forgives you. And then God blesses Job double everything he lost. So I know God's not mad at Job. I know God still thinks Job is righteous. And the story ends good. Yay. Don't you love a good ending? But I'm still struck by what happened between 38 and 41. In that time when God speaks, he answers not one question. There has been 35 chapters of questions. And God doesn't answer a single one Do you know, as an observer of the story, I'm standing on the outside and I'm going, no, God, 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 God. Hey, God, tell Job about chapters one and two. Tell him about that whole thing with you and Satan and and what was going on and and how you believed in him. Tell him he passed with flying colors. Tell him about that. God, defend your image, God. He doesn't defend his image. He doesn't answer a single question. You know, it dawned on me, we really do believe, some of us more than others, but I I think it runs through all of us. We really do believe God owes us some answers, don't we? There'll be some places, there'll be some issues, there'll be some situations. You know, God owes me an answer on that. You know, it, it appears from chapter 38 on, God is almost scoffing at that idea that we possess some knowledge and, and we're aware of an experience. And so now I can call God in. By the way, have you ever thought through that logically? When you call, God, get in here and sit down. I got some questions. Now, when I ask him the questions, then What? When he gives his answers, am I then going to judge whether that's a good answer or not? Am I then going to tell God whether he's worthy of being a God? Because after all, I know everything. 
Do you understand God's line of reasoning now? Since you know so much, since you've got such a grasp on life and eternity, things seen and things unseen, you tell me. You see, folks, I think this might sound strange. I don't think God's being a bully or being tough or saying, I don't know you an answer. I think God's doing us a kindness when he doesn't ask, answer a single question and tease us into thinking that we actually have some kind of knowledge, some kind of information. I've got some kind of experience. I've got some kind of position. I've got some kind of authority where I can call God in to explain himself. He would actually be doing us a disservice to let us run with that thought at all. So he answers not a single question. Now he does give us some information. He says, I want you to know something. I have all power. There's not a second place. Please do not think that me and Satan are in some kind of big fight, some kind of good versus evil, the eternal brawl. No, I am not in a fight with Satan. There's not a big brawl going on. I have all power. There is no second place. There is nothing to compare to my authority and power. And I want you to know something. I want you to understand something about my authority and power. It is shaped, it is molded, it is directed by my perfect love, by my perfect goodness, by my perfect justice. My power never moves without my love. It never moves without my justice. That's what you need to know. That's what you need to trust. Now, folks, please, please don't hear me. Don't hear God saying, especially if you're sitting in here today and you're in the, the midst of one of these evil things. You're, you're in the midst of this. Please don't hear God saying, sit down and shut up. I don't have to answer you. No, I, I want, what I want you to hear God saying is Romans 8, 18, where he says, listen, I see your suffering. I know where you are. I know you can't put it together. I want you to know something. It's going to get fixed. I, I want you to know something. I have a glory coming to you that is incomparable to the suffering. You know what that means? You can't measure the distance. Wouldn't it be cool if our glory was 10,000 times greater than our suffering? Ah, but 10,000 times is a measurement. God is saying, it can't be measured. What I have coming to you for all eternity is so great and so beyond the suffering you go through in a moment, it can't even be measured. Okay, God, that's super. That's good. Okay, it's going to get fixed. I've got hope for the future. But what about right now? My gosh, you tell me I'm just to float down the stream of life and wait for the next random ugly hit? Oh, no. I want you to hear God saying Romans 8, 28. Hey, man, I want to tell you something. Nothing touches you. And evil does touch us. Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. Evil people, evil world, evil forces will touch you. But God says, listen, I promise you, nothing touches your life that I will not use for the good I'm doing in your life. Now, that, that, that promise is a condition. It has two conditions. You need to love me and you need to fit in according to my purpose. Now, if you don't love me and you're living outside of my purpose, you're living outside of my design, then the, the promise won't work for you. But if so, I promise you, there's nothing that is random and meaningless and worthless happening in your life. I can take any of it and make it a part of the good that I'm doing in you. That's a long sermon I just gave, isn't it? 
You know, folks, all we've done is just skip along the surface. We, we didn't go down at all. It's just a rock skipping across the surface, touching a couple of ideas and things on evil. You know what part of evil we didn't discuss at all? We didn't discuss at all the fact that our God, the true God, the only God that actually steps into the evil. You know, one of the questions is, why doesn't God destroy evil if he has all power? Because he'd have to destroy you. And for some reason, a righteous, holy God decided he loved you and he loved me and said, before I destroy evil, and I will destroy it, before I destroy it, I've got to step down into it and I've got to pay for what they did. I've got to clean up what they did. I've got to provide a way so that when I destroy it, they can be rescued up out of it. We celebrated that last Sunday, didn't we? Call that Easter, I think. Now, by the way, there would be one of my questions. That happened 2,000 years ago. Hey, God, what you waiting for? Come on back. <laughs> I'm ready to wrap this thing up, aren't you? Why has it been so long? By the way, answer for that is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. I still wonder, why is it taking so long? But God knows what evil is, and God has felt any and every evil that any human on this planet has felt. So like I said, folks, there's a lot of roads in this discussion, and it's time for the sermon to end. So let's just end where we will ultimately need to end all questions, all discussions about evil. We need to end with four things. Number one, God loves us and has a plan for our life. You're not random. You're not meaningless. You're not waiting for the next blow. You have a God who loves you and has a plan. Psalm 138, verse 8. Psalm 139. God has a plan for your life, and that plan is shaped and driven by his love for you. Okay, that, I, I've got to remember that. Number two, God allows evil and suffering for a time. It will end. That's hard to believe right now, isn't it? I mean, it's just been so long. It's just been so much. It's just been so bad. Uh, Truth check, it ends. Justice will be done, and that will be forever and ever. Number three, God never promised we would be okay with or understand his work and how evil runs alongside his plan. And folks, when I say he never promised, I'm not just saying there's the absence of a promise. God actually says, listen, what I do promise you is I'm going to work in some ways you can't connect the dots. I'm going to work in some ways. You're, you're just not going to be able to see me. You're not going to be able to hear me. You're not going to get it. And the reason that is so important to remember is without that truth, it, you know, we say, God, you sold us a bill of goods. You said if we did this, this would happen. God, you said it would turn out that we would feel, we would maybe have a feeling, hey, you lied to me. You deceived me. You tricked me. But no, God has told us right up front. Hey, this is going to be awesome, you and me walking through this journey together. I promise you, along the road, it's going to look like I'm not there. It's going to look like I've abandoned you. Not the case. And then lastly, folks, and this is where we ultimately do end. We've got to remember, as we're taking this journey through suffering, our end goal is to end at faith and worship. The end goal is to end at faith and worship. And that doesn't mean that if you're crying, you have failed. You don't have faith. That doesn't mean if you're hurting, you've failed. You don't have... Look at Job. For 35 chapters, he was crying, frustrated, asking questions. And clearly God wasn't mad at him based on the end of the story. It's not a sin to hurt. It's not a sin to be frustrated. But as we go through it, don't bog down. Remember, you do have a goal. It's to end up at faith. 
and worship. The Bible does give the answers. But those answers will require faith. And God's never told us anything different. But this, that this journey on this earth is all about one thing. Your faith. He's never been anything but absolutely honest about what's going on, where we're going, and what it's going to take. If we had no questions, if it all made sense, if everything worked like we wanted it, wouldn't take any faith, would it? Let's pray. Lord, I, I realize as I share this message, you know, I look throughout this room and Lord, there's people. I know where they are, know what's happening. And this message is not a philosophical discussion. This, this message is not about theory and religions. It's, it's very, very real. Evil and suffering is very, very real. And for those folks, Lord, I would pray that this week, God, would you please show them some great evidence of your goodness and your faithfulness in their lives. I, I don't know specifically what would prove that or be that for them. I don't have to. You do know. God, would you, would you embolden their faith? Show them your goodness and faithfulness. Help them take that next step on this journey, on this road that you've allowed them to be on. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.